This is Lee McBride, and you're listening to the Hidden Hook Podcast. I travel this fine country as a storyteller, and growing up as a kid, I had two heroes, my dad and Jerry Clower. And I fell in love with the power of telling a story at a very young age. And as I travel the country, I meet ordinary people with extraordinary stories all the time. That's what this podcast is about, just sharing other people's stories. Thanks, sit back, and enjoy the Hidden Hook Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to be here in the office of my best friend, Roland Joe Phillips, also known as a Joe B., who is one of the few human beings on this earth who completely understands what I do for a living because he does exactly the same thing in some different ways. We do different things, but we really do the same thing. He is was my college roommate. I've known him for, I've known you since Labor Day, 1982. Yes, sir. How long is that? 37 years. And uh, I've been waiting to record this. This was the only thing that I considered to be the launch of this podcast, Hidden Hook. It's just a, so many in my travels meeting people that are ordinary people with extraordinary stories. Why don't you greet the folks, Uncle Joe? Lee, it's great, great, great to be here. I'm happy that you're in our home, and um, it, we consider you and your family family. I wanted to get your story. We'll get to that in a few minutes, but because I have a good understanding of what you do, doesn't mean everybody does talk a little bit about Joe Phillips ministries, the multiple facets of Joe Phillips ministries, but specifically talk about the movie. Well, Lee, you're right. We do the same thing. We do it in a very different ways. That's a good way to put it. And you were an inspiration to me back in the day because I was at your very first comedy show down at the Lodge in I Columbus, remember that. Georgia. And uh, the fact that you have had such great longevity, you've got much longer longevity than I do, kind of inspired me that maybe this could work out. So we just share the gospel of, of Jesus Christ around the country and the world in um, traditional ways, camps, conferences, services, revivals, but in some unique ways, too, the comedy outreach, like what you do. And um, about seven years ago, I started doing uh, Ebenezer Experience, seven or eight years ago. And so we we did this monologue. It started like a monologue. I just played Ebenezer Scrooge and uh, stood on the stage and talked for an hour, but it grew into a pretty high production uh, event. We've been to 72 different venues, I think, with it. And I saw that that was uniquely used by God. So we started thinking, how else can we creatively get out of the box and share this message? Five years ago, I had an idea for a film. It took me four or five years to write the screenplay, assemble the cast, raise the money. But we are right at the last little sprint to get this thing put in the can and out by by March. It's a film about sex trafficking in um, Southeast Asia. One man's decision altered the destinies of many, many little girls in Southeast Asia in the mid 1980s. So we've tried to uh, we've tried to put that on on screen in a way that will be effective and honoring. 
So do you have a release date and a release theater? We have a release target and a goal, and that is March 21st, 2020, 321, 2020, on my 57th, 56th birthday. We want to put it out in a local theater, an iconic theater here in North Carolina. So that's, that's our target. You're listening to the Hit Hook Podcast. We'll get back. We'll get into Joe B's story. As I travel the country, I sell thousands of hats every year. Well, one of our sponsors for the Hidden Hook podcast is Chris Blackburn, and he owns a company called Stitch Central in Columbus, Georgia. Stitch Central Custom Embroidery and Apparel Shop. You can reach him at 706-327-9989 or at stitchcentral at aol.com. Stitch Central, a friend of the Hidden Hook podcast. You're listening to the Hit Hook Podcast. I'm here with Joe Phillips of Joe Phillips Ministries, former college roommate. And uh, I think one of the things that would best describe, even though it was just a conversation between me and you, would be a good introduction to your story is one time I kind of got bits and pieces of your story throughout the years. It's not like you sat down the first year we lived together and told it all and as I kept gathering information I was I was amazed that you were even a functional Christian much less a minister and I remember saying to you one time what was the staff meeting like in hell the morning after you got saved I mean did did Satan look around at his nymphs and demons or whatever you call those things and say how in the world did we lose this kid? I mean, we had him wrapped up, and I think you thought that was kind of funny, but it is amazing uh, some of the things that you've accomplished. Now, you've talked a little bit about the movie. We're going to talk about the movie more. Talk about uh, Let's talk about a couple of your books, but one book I know you wrote specifically to help families in difficult situations. Talk a little bit about that and how your story inspired to be a part of that book. Okay, Lee. Well, there's a man in Georgia named Jerry Nance. He's the Global Teen Challenge Director. We go back. We were friends uh, not as long as you and I have been friends, but almost. And he came to me one day and he said, Joe, I want you to help me write a book about families. And I said, why do you want me to do it? He said, because you're such a weirdo. I said, thanks a lot, buddy. He said, no, you know what I mean. I said, no, not really. He says, uh, I grew up, and he grew up like you did in a way, only more thoroughly. You you came into the faith as a kid. He he was raised in it. He said, man, I've been in church since I was a baby. And uh, people have a hard time relating to that. My guys at Teen Challenge, the drug rehabilitation program, they kind of grew up like you did. And so we want to put both both sides into this book called Fundamentals, F-U-N, capital F, capital U, capital N, the mentals, fundamentals in family life. So I would write the, the second part of every chapter, and we just wrote about traditions and raising kids and how to do it with, with dysfunction in your background, and I hope it helps people, Lee. Uh, you have another book. That was came out of the premise of a sermon, which is a sermon that you have preached. Have you preached it a hundred times? Mm, probably seventy, I would think. Maybe a hundred. Many, many, many salvations over decades. Talk about 
your book? It's a book called The Third Chair, Implementing Lasting Change, and it grew out of um, um, an, an idea. I feel like it was an inspiration. One night on my way to Michigan, I, I had this sort of epiphany, I guess. My minivan was loaded with kids, teenagers. We've got four kids, and uh, I think I had three of them and one of their friends. We were going to Michigan, but there was a derecha that day, that weekend. A derecha is a land hurricane. It's hurricane force winds that blow straight, and it knocked power out to like 50 or 60 percent of the eastern seaboard. I could not find a hotel, and I had planned on just driving till I got tired. That's what we do a lot of times, but I couldn't find a hotel, so while the kids were sleeping in the back, this just kind of came in my head. And so I kind of worked through it through that whole night's drive all the way to Cleveland, Ohio, just about before I found a hotel. And then I preached it on a Tuesday at this family camp in Michigan. And the response to that was even different than anything that I'd ever experienced. I mean, ministers and grown men were we're weeping. I thought, man, I think we've stumbled onto something bigger than a sermon. So the third chair is 10 train stops along the way to transformation. The first is uh, diagnosis. The second is dream. And that's where most people live. We know that we need to save money. We know that we need to lose weight. We know that we need to be kinder to our family. That's our diagnosis. That's the initial step in, in healing. Uh, and then we dream about what what would it be like if I got better sleep or if I felt in, you know, in shape or if I had a little bit more financial margin, we dream about it. And then I skip the third chair because we come back to that at the end. And then we go all the way four through through nine and they involve uh, declaration and and um, all, all, all kind of things. But the third we come back to the third chair, which is uh, a decision and nothing gets done until you make a decision. That's what you did in your life. Lee. That's what I did in my life. It's greater than a resolution. It's greater than a That's dream, exactly pipe right. dream. It's, it is. I equate it to jumping off a bridge for a base jump. You, you, you jump off that bridge and you throw that parachute in the air. And once you jump off that bridge, you, there's no turning back. That's the power of decision. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live like this regardless. It's not just a target. I'm not going to have these attitudes, et cetera. That's the third chair. And if somebody hears this podcast, because it'll live forever, it'll be when people get it all over the world, and they wanted to get either one of those books, how would they do that? Amazon. Amazon. I say you can be a publisher if you find a good printer. <laughs> you know, it you don't have to have a publishing contract. We self-publish everything. So The Third Chair and Fundamentals in Family Life, both on Amazon. All right, this is Lee McBride. You're listening to the Hit Hook Podcast. I'm here in Kannapolis, North Carolina, in the home office with Joe Phillips. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Hidden Hook Podcast. We can only do this podcast because of contributors and sponsors. If you're interested in being a sponsor on the Hidden Hook Podcast, it's very easy. You can go to LeeMcBride.com, hit the Hidden Hook button, or you can reach me at Lee at LeeMcBride.com. We'd love to have you on the team at the Hidden Hook Podcast. Right, I'm here with my best friend, Joe Phillips. We're in Kannapolis, North Carolina. Okay, Joe, we've kind of done a little lead up to this testimony. Let's get a rolling. I know you are a proponent of people telling their Jesus story, 
Let's let folks hear yours. Well, I'm honored to do it, and I love to tell your story. You like to tell my story. And, uh, you know, people have had it rougher than me, without a doubt, so I'm not trying to compete. It reminded me, I thought about this when I knew you were coming. stood around in a group in Atlanta one time, and there were three fellas that were leaders at this church, this multicultural church. And uh, we were talking about how we grew up poor, and I told them, I only got one pair of shoes, and and then the next guy said every year at school he had to get a pair of uh, like hand me downs or generic shoes. And then the other leader says, you know, I used to have to go behind Kmart to the dumpster because this particular Kmart, if they couldn't sell their shoes, they'd throw me in the trash, and that's how we got our school shoes. But the but the last guy was from Africa. And uh, he listened to all of us and then said, Shoes? What are shoes? I did not see a pair until I was 18. So, you know, he wins. And we looked at him and said, you win, man. Here's the trophy. You were the brokest kid among us. So I know that I don't have the, the most tragic story, but it's, a, it's, it's special to me. It's important to me. I was born to an unwed uh, mom. In 1964, she was on her way to get an illegal abortion. My mom's name was Glenola Sue Mills. And her sister, Zelfia Madonna Phillips, how about those names? Indiana was the location. She talked her out of it. She said, let this kid be born. Who knows what this kid might become? And so she had me, but she didn't want me. She told me that herself. And to compound the situation, I found out about four four years ago, five maybe, that she had two severe mental illnesses, and she was borderline on a third one. So she had no place to go. She raised me in her parents' home. They had had 11 children, these Indiana farmers, and and I've got a picture that I show sometimes when I'm telling my story to audiences. And it's a picture of my grandmother clutching a white purse and my young mother. And I'm standing in front at the age of two, two and a half. And I've got a, I've got a receding hairline at the age of two and a half. I mean, I, uh, I was not anyway, regardless of that. And then my grand granddad was behind him and she looks like she's about to clock me with that, that purse. My grandmother does. And I found out before my biological mom died that my grandmother would say, um, I raised my 11 kids. I'm not trying to raise your kid, too. And uh, and I don't have a single memory of my grandmother, though I lived with her the first three years of my life. I think God helps us to have a good forgetter sometimes. You know, you're very impressionable as a kid. You got a grandkid. I got a grandkid. Ain't nobody trying to throw those kids away or give them away. We love and treasure our grandchildren. And I understand the lady's feelings, but um, my mother would put me in the attic. She would tell me this before she died. She'd put me in the attic, and she would say, if you don't quit crying, the monsters are going to get you. And she would climb halfway up the stairs when I, when I cried, which a kid does. He cries, and she would make, you know, ooh, scary sounds. My adopted mom told me that for the first year that they had me that— uh, she couldn't give me a bath because every time they tried, I would scream bloody m- murder like I was being waterboarded, which is, is kind of common for kids. But I think that my mother, biological mother, would bathe me in 
not be sure she's going to pull my head up from the water. Anyway, so my cousin could not have children. And so my first cousin talked my grandparents into giving me to him and his new wife. He was 23. She was 20 or 21. Um, and they would tell my grandfather, they said, you know, and, and he was as cool as the other side of the pillow. I'm named after that guy. His name was Clessy Roland Mills. I'm Roland Joe Phillips. And so they say, Gramps, you know, you're old. You're not going to be alive to even see him graduate from high school. Footnote, when I graduated from high school, the screen door flew open and an old man walked in and screamed, I'm alive, <laughs> which I thought was kind of awesome. He showed them. Anyway, so with a judge's signature in 1967, my cousin became my dad, my mom became my aunt, my aunt became my grandmother, and my grandparents became my great-grandparents. So, Joe, is there a diagram somewhere that helps keep you track of this? Yeah, my family tree looks like uh, kudzu. It just... <laughs> so uh, life was really good, you know. We had, a, I mean, we had it going on. I was the only child. I was wanted. I had a red wagon. I remember when I was six, full of toys. I had... Uh, every, all my needs were met. Uh, my dad would leave on Monday, come back on Friday. He sold insurance and, uh, life was good. You know, it was, it was really good. I got a green bicycle when I was 13 years of old, of age. It was a five speed and, uh, got to do some pretty cool things. And we still lived in the cornfields of Indiana, but then my dad got kind of restless and he decided to move to Missouri and, and so we we packed up the family, and my dad, when I was 15 years of age, he got mugged down in Tampa, Florida, and left for dead in an alley. It changed his appearance. It changed his facial features. It changed, he, it changed his personality. I never really had my dad back. And like the Bible says, you know, when uh, the way of the transgressor is hard, so it got really hard for us. My adopted mom, my adopted dad, whom I call mom and dad from here out. I refer to them as mom and dad. Uh, we went to, we lived in four states. I went to four high schools in four states in four different years. Lincoln, Missouri, Tampa, Florida. Well, that was a culture shock. Decatur, Alabama. And we, we ended up in Columbus, Georgia. But I always lived for one thing and one thing only. And that was basketball. Basketball was my saving grace. I spent hours on a playground, no matter where I lived, even in the snow. I remember trying to dribble the ball in foot-deep snow in Missouri and shooting it at a rim without, without chains or a net just because that was my escape. That was, that, was, uh, that was how life was good for me. I show this picture sometimes to audiences. I say, pick, see if you can pick me out of my high school uh, basketball picture. Take your time. I've gained some weight. And when you look at the picture, I'm the white shadow, Jack. They used to call me the Oreo. So uh, so when we moved to Missouri, it was in November, I mean, to Columbus, Georgia. We moved to Columbus, Georgia from Decatur, Alabama. And uh, I, I remember uh, it was November. It was 1980. Uh, 1981, and I walked to the gym from my house because we were poor, man. We were broke, broke down. And so I, I walked to the school, walked into the gym. It was after school hours, and the basketball team was playing. And I had been on the basketball team 
in uh, northern Alabama. And I walked in, and Coach Zimmerman was there. He said, can I help you, son? I said, I just moved to town like an hour ago. And, boy, I'd like to play basketball. He said, son, we've already picked our team. In fact, we've already played a game. And I just thought at that time that that figures. That's just the way life is for me. So I was sort of kind of slumped over and walking out of the gym. And Zimmerman said, hey, uh, son, what's your name? Joe. Joe, go down there and shoot 10 free throws. So I was in street clothes, and I went down to the other end of the basket, to the gym, to one of the practice baskets, and shot 10, made 10. And he yelled, I found you a jersey. <laughs> you went string music, Larry Bird, 10 <laughs> for 10. I think they had free throw issues or something. This is Lee McBride. You're listening to the Hidden Hook Podcast. I'm here with Joe Phillips. We left off. You have walked down to the foul line, Jordan Vocational High School, Columbus, Georgia, with a coach that told you, we have already begun the season. You can't make the team until you went Larry Bird, 10 for 10 free throws, string music in street clothes, and all of a sudden a guy finds you a jersey. Let's pick it up from right there. So then life was okay. It was manageable. It was bearable. My father had asked my mom to leave when I was uh, about a year younger than this particular incident. And uh, they'd never fought or argued. So when he asked her to move out, uh, it was a shock to my system. They'd been my whole life. And so about a week after she left, a young lady moved into our house and she had two children. We lived in a 900 square foot duplex. So I didn't want to be at home, to be honest with you. I didn't like being around the house, and I, I don't want to dishonor my dad. There's no value in dishonoring him. He passed away at the age of 63. I preached his funeral, so I'm not trying to throw him under the bus. I don't believe he would uh, have lived like that if he was thinking right and hadn't been beaten half to death. But I don't. I mean, I just I don't know. I can't speak for him, but I can speak for me. And 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 I just went to school. Played basketball, tried to stay out of trouble, and I remember walking up to the school my first my first day. That was be the next day after this particular gym incident, and it was a math class. And I wasn't very good at math because I'd been to so many systems. I didn't I didn't get it. I don't. That's not the side of my brain that works. But it was a teacher there, and he had a like a crew cut and. Uh, Seems like his shirt didn't always match his pants, but I think that I, I'm not remembering that right because his wife, I would later find, was very fashionable. It seemed like his shoes were having a party that his pants didn't get the invitation to attend. <laughs> As I recall, he would say very unusual things to me and to the class. He'd say, you walk out that second-story window, you think you're going to fly? It was a head scratcher, man. I'd look around. They, they were used to it. I'm like, what's this guy talking about? He'd say things like, you go to Panama City, your car hits a tree, tree going to move. I'm like, man, could you just let me flunk math by itself instead of math and philosophy? What kind of hybrid Southern thing are you working here? But there's something about the guy that really intrigued me. So we're rolling through my junior year of, of high school and get into my senior year. To say that I was lost would be an understatement. I was, uh, like you say, as lost as a golf ball in high weeds. Went to my senior prom with a school teacher. She was 29 years old. Who does that? Lost people. 
She was very pretty now, but that's another matter. I mean, she was, it's just an odd thing. It's a different day. <laughs> I don't know if you had this in Lincoln. Then we had smoking sections in school. Oh, yeah, we had smoking sections. Yeah. The teachers would smoke in one section and then the smokers. I, I never really uh, fit in with anybody. I didn't fit in with the football team. Uh, my basketball guys were awesome on the court. We, you know, we just, I didn't, we didn't hang out together that much. And so I was, I was sort of a lonely guy. And uh, I remember one day sitting, it was the spring of the year. I was sitting by, I was actually walking through the breezeway. There's a little breezeway between one of the buildings and the cafeteria and the smoking section for the kids. And Mr. Reeder, the math teacher, was sitting out there. I remember it very vividly. And uh, I walked over and I sat beside him and I said, uh, I said, can I ask you a question? He said, go ahead. Real soft spoken. Go ahead. I said, you sit out here all the time. And I've checked with the office and asked him specifically, do you have lunch duty? And you do not have lunch duty. And you, you don't eat out here. You just sit out here. You're not really doing anything except looking at us. And to be honest, you're starting to creep us out, man. Why, why do you sit out here all the time? And uh, his response that day, now 38, 38 years later, puts me behind your microphone, Lee. His response to me that day was, I've been waiting on you. And Wow. Uh, wow. Well, man, when he said that, tears filled my eyes and... I remember other students were looking at me, kind of pointing, and I'm like, it's allergies, move along. But, uh, I mean, I just broke down, got very vulnerable with the guy. I said, Mr. Reader, I hate my life. I hate where I live. I, I've got no future. I got two pairs of pants to my name, no vehicle. I'm a senior in, co in high school with no prospects or hope of going to college. And uh, he said, you know what? I'd like you to come work for me. Man, things are looking up. He's going to give me a job. What kind of work is it, Mr. Reader? He said, I got a farm over in Opelika, Alabama. I'd love you to come work it. So uh, I said, well, yeah, I'm not doing anything Saturday. And he said, you live close to me? Just walk to my house. I know where you live. Walk to my house, which I did. It was just a few blocks away. I walked to his house early on a Saturday morning, and he took me to Opelika in a blue Chevrolet stepside pickup truck, and he worked me like a Hebrew slave for Turkey bologna sandwich, a RC cola, faded banana, and a ten dollar bill. There you go. And uh, so I, I did that. Took that ten dollar bill and I snuck into a nightclub with my friend Tim Wynn. You know Tim? He's yeah. a police officer. Yeah. And so I don't know if I had a fake idea or exactly what, but I, I snuck into that nightclub. And so I did that for three or four weeks, Mr. Reader. About week number four or five, did something that's very powerful. Your life was changed by it. My life was changed by it. A personal invitation to church. He said, uh, when I was getting out of that blue Chevrolet one day, he said, now, Joe, Joe, if you'll come back up here tomorrow, I'll carry you to church, and Patricia uh, and I would love to have you. I said, Mr. Reader, I'm not very religious, to be honest with you. I appreciate it. It's very kind of you to invite me. I, it's not really my scene, even though I was dating at one point a local pastor's daughter, which not, was not a great idea. I mean, I, I had to go through a vetting process, and I conned them all. <laughs> you went straight Eddie Haskell. Uh, I, I was Eddie Haskell. I was not living for Jesus. In fact, I couldn't spell Jesus. As I travel the country, I sell thousands of hats every year. Well, one of our sponsors for the Hidden Hook podcast is Chris Blackburn. And he owns a company called Stitch Central in Columbus, Georgia. 
Stitch Central Custom Embroidery, and Apparel Shop. You can reach him at 706-327-9989 or at stitchcentral at aol.com. Stitch Central, a friend of the Hidden Hook Podcast. I'm here with Joe Phillips. So, Joe, I want to talk about a couple things. Number one, it is amazing after the obstacles that you came through that your name is in the book of life. But let's let's talk about this perspective just a second. When you're going through that, when you're living through that, which I'm 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 having to almost guess because I grew up in the complete opposite scenario. My 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 family was loving, supportive. I since the age of five grew up in church, never had a want that went, you know, I had everything I ever wanted and needed. And, uh, you know, my, my parents are just great people. I, I hope to be half what they are in every way. But, uh, so when you're going through those things, abandonment, some, some abuse or loneliness, depression, uh, when you, there were times in your childhood and your teenage life when you were truly hungry. And I don't mean like, you know, you've played basketball for a couple hours and you have a stomach pain. I mean, you really didn't know where you were going to eat. I think one of the lies that Satan tells people is, even if you make it through this, you're never going to be able to be a, a, a functional leader, a great parent. And you and Cecilia, and we're very open and honest with each other. We jank on each other. We laugh at each other. We're flawed. We make mistakes. But y'all are fantastic parents and have raised incredible children. Did some of that baggage, did some of that... uh, did some of those trials did it tell me how it shaped and helped you to become the parent you are well, I like to use metaphors and my brain works that way sometimes and if you've ever watched um dominoes they set up dominoes for a week and a half in a school gymnasium and they set them up so that when they touch one of them uh, 10,000 times 10,000 they they fall all over and it makes a big spectacle when it doesn't work is when whoever's putting the dominoes up uh, puts one a little bit too far back. And that's that's how I look at my life, that I'm the domino that was too far back. And the Bible says, unto him who's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless. And even though things were stacked against me and it was all tumbling t- towards me, I decided early on, even though I didn't know what I was doing, God, I'm going to stand, I'm going to change the equation here i'm going to change the equation right here today for everybody that comes behind me they're going to stand and i give god all the credit for my children and if there's any human accolades it goes to their mother but uh, all these kids as of today they're standing in their faith one of them is a pastor the other teaches bible and art at a local christian school i've got an accountant son i say he's the great hope we have for retirement hallelujah And then I've got my youngest daughter is a minister, and uh, she just walked out the door to go to her post leading worship for her brother's church in Charlotte, North Carolina. 
And um, I think some of the pain and the angst that I went through motivated me. But like you said early on in your introduction, you know, we, I don't even know how you're a functioning human being. I have a therapist that I have on speed dial, so to speak. You know, I don't need to, may I, I may not need to talk to her once a year, sometimes maybe three times in a row, but she's sort of on retainer for me. And she told me in the first session, hearing my story, the same thing. She diagnosed me with something and said, it, people that have associative disorder, whatever it was, they, they don't function as adults. They, they don't have normal relationships. She said, you, you're a miracle. I think that this life has been miraculous. Only God could have done what he's done in our life. There are fewer and fewer people that are still living, but the old timers used to say, if you ever meet anybody that lived through the depression, if you go to their freezer, it's full. They'll never get caught empty handed again because that prepared them. I, I, I just want to give hope to somebody who thinks that they're, they're scarred or jaded or something because of things that were not their fault that they, uh, you know, it's going to affect them forever. And that's just certainly not true. Exactly. And they, they can be not only functional, but great parents. So this is Lee McBride. I'm with Joe Phillips. You're listening to the Hidden Hook podcast. We're going to come back in a minute, kind of wrap this thing up. And we got a couple funny stories for you. Uh, as intense as this has been, we are comedians. People pay us money because we're funny. So get you some of that. This is Lee McBride, Hidden Hook Podcast. So this is Lee McBride. I'm here with Joe Phillips. You're listening to the Hidden Hook Podcast. So, Joe, all, all the things that you've come through that point in life, uh, and you've ended up in Columbus, Georgia, working on a farm of your math teacher, Luther Reader, who's invited you to church. You and y'all are good. He's going to a new church. You're going to a situation like you have never experienced. It might as well have been Six Flags over Jesus. <laughs> yeah. All right. So take us. Uh, let's start from right there. All right. So you know the the ironic thing is this particular church, Evangel Temple. It's Assembly of God Church in Columbus. I used to drive by it on my way to different places, and and there was something that something that drew me to that thing. I didn't understand it at the time. Uh, Mark Rutland says architecture speaks. There was something about the architecture that spoke to me, and it said Evangel Temple. I thought it was a synagogue. I didn't know. I didn't know much about religion. So when when he takes me to church, he takes me to this architecture that had been speaking to me, but I believe it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. And uh, it freaked me out a little bit, but we got through it, and I got that chicken, man, and it was every bit as good as advertised. Holy smokes. So the next week, we we liked that little program, went to the farm, went to the nightclub, went to the church. And the next week, we did that for about five weeks, worked on the farm hard. Early, we'd, you know, we'd fix fences and pick. One of the things he loved for me to do was pick up big rocks and throw them on the back of the cart as he would drive the tractor. We did that. Hay, cows, all that stuff. And uh, one 
night on a particular weekend where I went to the farm and the nightclub before I got to the church. That particular night at that nightclub, uh, I was dancing. It was the Smuggler's Inn on Macon Road. It's now a Longhorn Steakhouse, much better use of the space. But back then it was a disco and nightclub. And, you know, I was on the dance floor dancing with a married lady. I don't remember who she was. I never met her before. Don't know who she is. I just remember that fact stuck in my head. I was 18 year old kid. I'm on this dance floor and cool and the gang and Rick James and all that stuff is blaring on the speaker. And a voice spoke to me louder than a voice. And I heard a voice in my, my head say, Joe, I love you. And I've got something better for you than this. When that voice spoke to me, I stopped dancing and I started crying. And all the Fort Benning guys that were dancing on the floor, though we couldn't hear we couldn't hear anybody if they screamed. The music was so loud. I could read their lips. They were pointing and saying, "He's drunk." I could I could understand him, them saying, "This kid's drunk," and they were laughing at me. But I wasn't drunk. I was too broke to be drunk, man. All I had was ten dollars. I wasn't going to spend it on beer or alcohol. I I was not drunk. I had heard from God. And that night in 1982, I walked out of darkness. I walked out of that nightclub. I walked out into the light, and I've been walking in the light ever since. And for 37, 30, almost 38 years, I have not had another drink or any of that stuff that that used to thrill me. All the grudging, the hate, all the unforgiveness, all the bitterness, man. Lee, he just washed all that stuff. I'm not perfect, of course. None of us are. But he washed all that junk out of my spirit and uh, and put me on a path that uh, I could have never dreamed of. So, Joe, if there's a kid listening to this podcast and you didn't go into great detail, and I certainly understand it, but I mean, one thing we've always appreciated about each other, and, we, and we've got a very good relationship, best of friends, and a very healthy, competitive relationship, I think. I know for a fact there have been times in my life that you've made me better because of the things you've achieved, and I, I would I hope that's true the other way. Absolutely. But you haven't gone into great detail, but let's, one thing you appreciate is is that we're just really honest, but you know what it's like to be abandoned. You know what it's like to be abused. You know what it's like to be lonely. You know what it's like to be to have, to seem hopeless. And you know what it's like to have false hope to a kid that's listening to this podcast right there that thinks they're all alone. There's no hope. Uh, there's a Luther reader in their life. There is hope. What would you say to them? to give them a little hope today if they're listening to this podcast. There's some promises from God. One of them is he sets the lonely in families. Another one is he's a father to the fatherless. Uh, One of the Psalms I'm memorizing right now says, if though my mother and father forsake me, the Lord will not abandon me. You may feel alone, but you're not alone. I owe everything to Luther Reader. It was during the, uh, that whole process that I became born again, and and I preached that guy's funeral a couple of years ago, and said during the graveside, "Lord, I'll never be able to say this again with any amount of integrity, but I want to thank you. 
I'll never be able to speak at another funeral like this. I want to thank you that because of this person here, I'm going to go to heaven. God sent him to me. And so for the kid who's lonely, my simple life philosophy is like tennis or football. If you just keep hitting the ball over the net. It may not look very pretty. Just you don't quit. You don't walk off. You can't give up because you hit it over the net. There's something good could happen. You you keep moving your feet at the line of scrimmage. Just keep moving your feet till they bring you down. You just keep moving. And as you move in a direction, you might break one open for a touchdown. So don't quit. Don't back up. Don't stop. The Bible says that the eye hasn't seen and the ear hasn't heard and it has not entered into the heart of man what great things that the Lord has in store for him, but the Spirit reveals them. So I believe for the lonely kid there that uh, the Spirit of God himself might reveal, give you a little glimpse, pull the curtain back and just show you a little glimpse of the great things that he has in store for you. And he had great things in store for me, Lee. So we... we me and you really try to be, and we try to encourage people to be Luther readers to people. And we have been Luther reader to some people in our life, not only standing up and speaking in front of them corporately, but one-on-one, but to somebody who's very lonely right now. And they're saying, do I have to wait for an encounter? Do I have to wait for a Luther reader? But really they don't even have to wait for that. I, we thoroughly have based our life upon two simple premises that Jesus Christ is God's one and only son and that Jesus Christ is our one and only hope. All they have to do is reach out. That's it. And and that's why I was a little hesitant to write this book because it seemed like a self-help book, the third chair. You know, you, you pull yourself up from your bootstraps. But like Dr. Martin Luther King says, what if you're not wearing boots? Some people don't have any boots to pull themselves up by the bootstraps. Luther was not my great hope. He was just a tool that God used, like he uses Lee, like he uses me. Uh, The great hope is Jesus. And once I said, I can't do this anymore. I I can't live for myself. I can't live uh, with this bitterness and anger and unforgiveness and hatred and all that junk. And I I gave my heart to the Lord. He, He took over. And he changed the picture. Before my biological mother died, I took a lot, most of my kids, my oldest son was married and in the ministry. I took them up to see their grandmother, and I was able to hug her and love her and have a relationship with her and tell her. I never I never had any unforgiveness towards her because I felt like she didn't know what she was doing, you know. Right. And she gave me life. At least she didn't have me killed. And so— uh, my picture completely changed from a, from abandoned, from lonely, all those things. My adopted mom, she's still phenomenal. In fact, you, she she left here at five o'clock this morning, back to Florida. She comes every year for Christmas. We have a f- super fantastic relationship. But he gave me a he gave me a whole different picture than that picture of me standing in front of my grandmother, clutching a white purse, getting ready to clock me. He gave me four beautiful kids, a beautiful wife. My wife, Cecilia, is a fantastic mother. And all my kids love the Lord. They're all serving the Lord, and they love each other. They want to hang out. They're each other's best friends. Uh, I got a grandson. He'll be four in March. He's the light of our life. So God's really, really been good to us, Lee, and it's all because of Jesus. You're listening to the Hidden Hook Podcast. This is Lee McBride. I'm here with my best friend, Joe Phillips. 
I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Hidden Hook Podcast. We can only do this podcast because of contributors and sponsors. If you're interested in being a sponsor on the Hidden Hook Podcast, it's very easy. You can go to LeeMcBride.com, hit the Hidden Hook button, or you can reach me at Lee at LeeMcBride.com. We'd love to have you on the team at the Hidden Hook Podcast. This is Lee McBride. I'm with Joe Phillips. You're listening to the Hidden Hook Podcast. Joe, we've come through your story. We've talked about not only being functional, but thriving in some areas. I, I just got this question. If if you would have taken in that North apartment room at Bible College, you're a year too older than me, but this circa 1986, 87, right in there. And if you would have stood us up, walked us to the chapel, stood us up in front of the campus, you were a basketball player and a very good basketball player, super set shot, super jump shot. And 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 they would have said to the campus, this man right here is going to, out of nothing but a thought in his mind, write, create a movie. He's going to travel the country at, in an Ebenezer experience and do a Broadway, a comparable to Broadway production uh, all over the country that's going to win people to Christ. He's going to preach hundreds of youth camps. He's going to write books. And then they looked at me and said, this man's going to have a podcast. At one point, I had a radio show. He's going to write a very successful kid's book. He's going to do, I think I've done more wild game suppers in the last 10 years than any, anybody in the country. Uh, speak to 100 football teams every August. I, I, I just want you to talk about the multiple things you've accomplished. I, I, I just I just think there are people listening that don't get started and they don't realize if you'll just put one foot in front of another, how much you can accomplish because you're extremely accomplished. Well, you're too kind. I was thinking about this this week. I don't think anything has been accomplished, as you say, has happened in my life without a serious by faith experience. For example, there's a, there's a verse that means a lot to me. If you delight yourself in the Lord, he gives you the desire of your heart I always wanted to go to college. I gave my heart to Christ. I didn't have a hope or a chance, but all of a sudden I get this basketball scholarship to Columbus State University, played one year, uh, my freshman year. And then God started calling me to the ministry and to to go to an unaccredited at the time Bible college and leave a scholarship took a lot of faith uh, on my part that God would provide. And he did. He was faithful. I was able to graduate from college without any debt. And... um he just took care of me along the way. Everything we've done, the Ebenezer thing, like you said, the first step. You got to take the first step. That was a by faith thing to stand on a stage and a costume looks like I'm one of the Golden Girls with a big wig and makeup. I'll never forget when you described to me that what Ebenezer experience was going to be because y'all were doing a. And I know every church says that, but it literally was, it could have been on Broadway. The Christmas Carol, it spun out of Christmas Carol here in Concord, North Carolina. But when you explain to me, Lee, I'm going to take this monologue and this part and go across the country, and I'm thinking, 
You are a weird. Oh, <laughs> nobody's going to come to that. And what a phenomenal success. Well, it goes back to the little kid who's not the little kid, maybe a teenager. He's hurting somewhere lonely. I, I remember very vividly, hadn't thought about this in years, laying on a mattress on a floor in Tampa, Florida. We didn't have 15,000 TV shows. You know, we had we had three channels and they went smooth off at midnight. And, uh, I would I would watch David Letterman, I'd watch Johnny Carson, and I would think to myself, man, that would be so awesome to make people laugh. And and here we are. You delight yourself in the Lord. He puts des- desires in your heart. And you got to do it. You got to do it by faith. I told you last, this past year. I said, why don't we just why don't we why don't we put a pause on Ebenezer and you and me do a, a comedy tour. That was a by faith thing. We That's just right. Threw it out there, and it was uh, it was so fantastic. It was incredible and won some folks to Jesus. Sir. So one foot in front of the other, keep plugging. Uh, I I just, I'll never sell myself short again. Uh, Matter of fact, this year, it's today is January 5th, 2020. I have set some of the hardest goals I've ever set in my life. You have. As a 53-year-old man. And the reason is because I believe the scripture is true that his grace is sufficient. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. So to anybody out there listening that has a dream about a ministry and it doesn't make sense because people thought we were crazy. When yeah. we left staff ministry oh, and started yeah. doing it, they thought we were nuts. I had people tell me, Lee, I'm so sorry you got out of the ministry. I mean, it broke my heart. It did. Yeah. So, uh, you can accomplish anything regardless of your past, regardless of what you've come through. Uh, and you just keep moving those feet at the line of scrimmage, even as driving. an adult. I, I didn't have, I had $127 on April 20th, 2009. April 20th is an easy date for me to remember, Lee, because it's my wife's birthday. And it's also Hitler's birthday and um, National Marijuana Day. So you can't really forget April 20th. <laughs> I remember going to a prayer room at 5 o'clock in the morning. I had $127. That was just 10 years ago. And I said, God, I'll never be able to make it. So I'm still moving my feet at the line of scrimmage. i got these kids. i got these responsibilities. I'm still moving my feet, trying to trying to break one free, just trying to get down the field. And uh, God gave me a promise that day. I mean, a very vivid promise. He said, yet from this day forward, I'm going to bless you. And from that day to this, he has. We went from $127. We're not rich or rolling in it. But now we support 14 missionaries, and we have staff members. We have four or five staff members. It's it's really mind-boggling to think how God – I don't even know how he's doing it. Just keep moving. That's right. Keep Keep plugging – uh, cast off the things that weigh you down, dodge the things that trip you up, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and never quit. You're listening to the Hidden Hook Podcast. This is Lee McBride. I'm here with my best friend, Joe Phillips. As I travel the country, I sell thousands of hats every year. Well, one of our sponsors for the Hidden Hook Podcast is Chris Blackburn. And he owns a company called Stitch Central in Columbus, Georgia. Stitch Central Custom Embroidery and Apparel Shop. You can reach him at 706-327-9989 or at stitchcentral at aol.com. Stitch Central, a friend of the Hidden Hook Podcast. This is Lee McBride. You're listening to the Hidden Hook Podcast, and I'm here with Joe Phillips. All right, Joe, were you with me the day 
We're not going to say his name, but were you with me the day that I hit the professor in the head with a hickory nut? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. All right, so let's tell that story, and then we'll tell a couple <laughs> So we live in the North Apartments at Southeastern College that at that time. Now it's Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. We're walking to the chapel, or maybe we were walking back, and there is this tree that produces I call them hickory nuts. I don't know if it was a hickory tree or not. I know it was a golf ball sized acorn that was as hard as a golf ball. And we will not call his name. I would never embarrass him, but we had a professor who walked like a penguin and he carried a briefcase and he walked so fast. And I remember we were probably, you know, as time goes on, I have a tendency to exaggerate stories because I was born in the deep south, and we're natural born liars. We exaggerate everything. But I would say we were 80 yards. Was it 80 yards, would you think? It could have been 100. Uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, 80 sounds about right. It was not close. And so I was going to try to throw this hickory nut, this golf ball. Might as well have been a DT Titleist. And he's swinging that briefcase and walking across there like a penguin. And I was going to chunk that thing and try to hit his briefcase. And at that point, you know, I was still somewhat of an athlete. And I'll never forget crow hopping. And I, the worlds, they just, everything aligned. The, the tailwind was just right. The angle was just right. It rolled perfectly off my forefinger. And it was just the perfect, the absolute perfect throw. And we're and there's people everywhere, and we were. I do remember now we were walking toward our apartment, and as we watched this thing, we can tell it's 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 got potential. It looks like it's going to hit him, but only problem was it did not strike him in the briefcase. It hit him in the head, That's right. and he wobbles <laughs> to his knees. Man down. And we took off on a dead sprint. Matter of fact, we lived in an apartment that was upstairs. You had the common sense to go upstairs. I remember going into some, I don't even remember whose apartment it was. I just dove into the first apartment and began to cover myself with dirty clothes. <laughs> Me too. Oh, my gosh. Only the next day to go into this man's class. And you you remember, <laughs> you remember like growing up at your grandma's house. It just seemed like Mama. I called my grandma Nanny. I called my grandma, Grandma Hazel. I don't know why, but they would have the biggest Band-Aids. I mean, this Band-Aid, I don't know where they bought them Band-Aids, but he had one of them Grandma (laughs) Nanny Band-Aids. I mean, this thing's as big as a postcard. Oh, yeah. And had methylate. There were (laughs) traces of methylate outside that Band-Aid. And I'm telling you, I've never felt so bad in my life, but I don't know if I've ever laughed so hard. We, we were diving under stuff upstairs. I think, oh, my word. Yeah, that was a great story. I have nothing to add to that except it was hilarious.
This is Lee McBride. <clears throat> You're listening to the Hidden Hook Podcast. I'm here with Joe Phillips. So, Joe, we've talked about the Ebenezer experience. One of the many things that have been a overwhelming success. So, I kept wanting to see it. I yeah. want to see the Ebenezer experience. And I find out I live in just outside of Birmingham, Alabama, and I find out you're going to be in Columbus at Evangel Temple, which we talked about earlier, and you're going to be performing this Ebenezer experience in the gym for the seniors' ministry, which is a very large ministry. Yeah, large ministry, yeah. So I get there, and I'm sitting back at the product table, and they're eating. They're doing it. They've served a meal. Well, I've of all the 75 or however many we've done, that was probably the, the toughest one logistically because it was in a gym and to try to get the sound right and the stage was small and to do the whole thing it was really tough but we got through it i felt very positive about it and i was back at the table there were two buffet tables they were two full of food and everyone was seated the moderator was wrapping up with a very serious and spiritual close and i was my my head was so relieved to be done with this. My buddy, my best friend Lee McBride, has gotten down here to see this, and and uh, and I'm looking in between these two tables. I'm walking, and there's some rolls there, big dinner rolls. <laughs> and so I see a friend of ours, mutual friend of ours, named Steve McCain, and I guess I wasn't quite the athlete Lee was, and physics was not on my side. It didn't really roll off my finger quite well, you right. Were in costume too, and a very uh, like heavy. lots of layers. Yes, yes yeah, yeah. I had like five layers of clothes on, and I kind of crow, <laughs> crow hopped and threw it about. I, 20 yards trying to throw it at his bald head and i slung that thing but instead of hitting his head it hit a full glass of sweet tea that was beside him and it exploded (laughs) exploded like a bomb went off and landed on this pregnant woman who was seated at the table but steve's wife thought he he had thrown that at that pregnant woman, she whipped around, gave him the skunk eye, and slapped him on the shoulder. What I mean, did you do? I mean, I'll just tell you my perspective. So I walk over, and you're still your Ebenezer. And when I say your Ebenezer, now people are going to think Easter cantata, you know, Jesus in some Ocean Pacific shorts under his rope. No, full guard could have walked out. I mean, Nominated for a Tony Award costume, makeup. I'm just talking about you are Ebenezer Scrooge, and I'm coming over there to congratulate you. And this, I see this squirrely look in your eyes, and I've seen that look before. And I'm like, what? What is he fixing to do? And and you reach into a a throwaway tin. There's a throwaway tin that we've seen a million times at you know. Uh, Potlucks. Potlucks, and it's full of these big, nice yeast rolls. And you grab that roll, and I'm thinking, is Joby maybe hungry? He just, I mean, it's a very exhausting performance he just gave. And when, I, I don't know how to explain it. When you reared back, I thought, what in the round world is he doing? Because there's a guy on stage talking. Oh, yeah. Serious. Everybody's attention is forward. <laughs> and I see McCain sitting there, which is one of our absolutely favorite people on this earth and one of the funniest guys on this earth <laughs> and does the very best Ernest T. Bass impersonation you have ever heard. <laughs> and I thought, he's he's going to chunk that rope. And when you threw it and it went past him and it hit that 
yellow solo cup full of sweet tea. <laughs> if you had taken that solo cup and thrown it up through a ceiling fan, it could it got everybody with it was just perfect. It just boom and tea goes everywhere. And they're facing forward, so it caught them completely <laughs> off guard. But one thing that was the funniest is when you realize how stupid what you just did was, you crawled under the buffet table. Ebenezer Scrooge is under the buffet table. They turn around and look at me. But when Jane McCain thought Steve had thrown a roll at his tea glass. Now he's sitting at the table. What on earth would possess him to pick up a roll and hit his own tea glass? I mean, I never, I've never laughed so hard in my life. I've known you for decades, and I can't remember. I'm you you couldn't I get out of it. Ventilated. This is Lee McBride. I'm here with Joe Phillips. You're listening to the Hidden Hook Podcast. This is Lee McBride. I'm here with Joe Phillips. You're listening to the Hidden Hook Podcast. Now, Joe, we've talked about Ebenezer. We've talked about the books. But I don't know if I've ever been as excited for you as I am about the release of this movie. We want to do everything we can help you. And even though it may be in some small way with this podcast, so talk a little bit about what's going to happen about the release or how people can find out specific information about the movie. Absolutely. Well, the website is called Aren't You Somebody. It's spelled just like you think, except without the punctuation, A-R-E-N-T-Y-O-U, somebody.com. And that's the question that a friend of mine was asked. This movie is inspired by real events. A friend of mine was asked one time by a Southeast Asian pastor, hey, you're somebody. Aren't you somebody? My friend kept pounding the desk and saying, somebody needs to stop this. Somebody needs to do something. And finally, this man had had enough, said, you're somebody. Aren't you somebody? So that's the name of the film. And you can go to aren'tyousomebody.com. You get it uh, back behind the scenes photographs and uh, you can get release dates and all of that. We're shooting for March 21st, 2020. And we'd like to take this in a very unconventional way, maybe some film festivals and some of the conventional things. But more than anything, I just want it to be a tool for churches in the kingdom of heaven that they can show this to congregations. It's an awareness piece. It's not a documentary. It's a feature. It's not really long enough to be a feature, but it is a film based on real, real events. And uh, we want we want to take it to rural places. We'd like to get some equipment, take it to places like Soperton, Georgia, Clio, Alabama, places that are not really anywhere close to a theater, and bring the theater to the local venue with some quality programming and equipment and see if we can throw the net and some other folks will come to know the Lord as a Savior. Can't wait for the release, Aren't You Somebody? This is Lee McBride. I'm here with my book-writing, movie-producing, Ebenezer-acting best friend, great Jump shot, 
<laughs> I don't know what else to say. Well, you know what? You've changed my life because my name really is Rollin Joe Phillips. That's the Indiana pronunciation. But I became Roland because you were the voice of the Crusaders, the Southeastern Crusaders. In the Citrus Dome. In the Citrus Dome. And one time I hit a shot and you said into the microphone from the parking lot, Roland Joe Phillips. And from that day to this, I've been Roland Joe. Yes, sir. Um, Joe, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here. This story is going to be a help to people. I love you, brother. I'm very proud of you. And I'm honored that you were willing to be on the first episode of the Hidden Hook Podcast. Thanks so much. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Hidden Hook Podcast. The Hidden Hook Podcast is produced by our executive producer, Steve Rayborn. And it is mixed and edited in Steve Rayborn Music Studios. I also want to thank a contributing producer and editor, Maria Fowler. Lee McBride is the founder and the host of the Hidden Hook Podcast, and you can reach him at lee at leemcbride.com. Thanks. God bless you. Roll tight.